open the front doors, I strut into the Schlager Brothers suit store. Two different brothers stare at me suspiciously when I slam two gold coins down on the counter. I'll take two of your finest, boys. I'm a 32 waist, but be prepared to let the crotch weigh out. As the sailors say, we'll release the sheets, sir, one of them says while the other pours me a glass of gold schlager. Come on, boys. You don't serve a man who orders two of your finest suits a glass of spring water. Where's the fucking whiskey? I know you got a bottle back there somewhere. The two of them look at each other for a moment, then one of them finally walks to the back and comes out with a bottle of whiskey. We laugh as if they never killed my son, and I offer them cigars. Laced with opium. It's time to get the richest people in town hooked on my new product, so I have to infiltrate the rest of the brothers. One by one, I smoke out every Schlager brother at each and every one of their businesses. I order up a shave, got some fresh meat from the butcher, buy some adult party supplies, you name it, I buy it. By the time I leave the last store, most of the brothers have already hung clothes signs on their doors and are heading over to party inside St. James Place. Game, set, match. At the end of the day, when I walk down Main Street with my new suit on, a fresh shave, and a large sack full of doorknobs, meat, and porn supplies over my shoulder, the townspeople look at me like they used to, with admiration mixed with fear. I can't even count how many women cockies me. The six-year journey over to China was worth it. And I am back on top. When I mount my steed, I notice Daniel's horse is still tied up next to mine. <laughs> that little son of a bitch is still at the den, probably going back for thirds at this point. Good for him. I know I would have. Why am I not going to the rice wine room right now? After six years in China and four months of 60-plus Chinamen living on my property with one outhouse, I just want to go home and be with my family. <laughs> totally kidding. I really just want to head home to put the feelers out to Loretta to see if she's down with another orgy. Maybe this could become a twice-a-week thing, or where she just watches sometimes. I'm not going to push it. I'll just see where it goes. Now that I'm rich again, I can at least ask. I arrive home like jolly fucking St. Nick with a burlap sack full of gifts slung over my shoulder. Loretta and the kids greet me on the front porch, and I unload my bag of goodies for everyone. I pat my middle child on the head. I have a doorknob and a sturdy belt for you, Patrick. Dad, my name is Steve, and you look really high, he says. <laughs> I can't help but chuckle remembering the first time I challenged my father to. Well, look at you all full of shit and vinegar. Since you're such a big man now, I have one more thing for you. Reaching into the bag, I pull out half a dead cow wrapped in a bloody sheet that I got from the butcher and place it in his arms. Patrick struggles with it and falls over sideways on the porch. He looks up at me helpless. Not so fucking big now, are you? Take that meat into the kitchen and divide it into chuck, rib, short loin, sirloin, round, shank, brisket, and flank steak. Dad, I don't know how to do any of that. Oh, I thought you wanted to go by Mr. Know-it-all Steve, who does shit on his own and has a fucking attitude about things. How's that working out, jackass? Fine, I'll go by Patrick. He says, defeated. That's better. 
Now go and take that meat into the kitchen and I'll slice it up like the man you're not. He gets up off the porch, dragging the huge piece of meat in behind him. Loretta walks over and kisses me like I'm a rich man again. There's a difference between how your wife kisses you when you have money and when you don't. This is, and I'll definitely be going down on you later, and I might even let you try your key in the back door type of kiss. <laughs> that orgy will definitely be going down now. She leans in and whispers into my ear. You got anything in that sack for me? <laughs> the same set of nuts I've had on me my whole life. I also brought you back a gift. I reach into the bag and pull out an old-school wooden drill dough, which is a dildo made out of mahogany attached to a bicycle frame consisting of only one wheel, a chain, and a set of foot pedals. If I'm being real with you, I don't even know how to fucking use it. The Schlager brothers are into some weird shit. Loretta stares at it for a moment before finally asking, Are those for your feet or mine? We can take turns. I'm starving. Let's go make some dinner. Patrick, pick up the drill dough off the porch and put it in my bedroom. It's the... Never mind. We eat like whatever the opposite of Ethiopians are. So much so that I have to unzip my jeans and pull them down a little. It is a glorious night. Loretta and I drink goblets of rice wine. My kids laugh when I can't remember any of their names. And Daniel manages to make it home midway through the meal. When he stumbles in through the front door, his eyes are bloodshot red. He smells like stale sex and wet leather, a scent I've known for more than half my life. He hands me a fresh newspaper with a photo of the Schlager brothers and me cutting the ribbon on the front page. The caption reads, Town's elite show up for grand opening. When I see it, I laugh like a schoolgirl with tuberculosis. Whoever said money can't buy you happiness was obviously really fucking poor. February 25th, 1857. Two years later, blam! A big greasy Schlager brother shoots his own brother dead in the middle of Main Street. Most of the patrons passing by don't even flinch since it's becoming a daily occurrence. Neither do I as I sit in front of St. James Place, calmly reading the newspaper. The fat Chinaman from the pig shack drags the dead body off the street and back down the alley where he throws it to his eagerly awaiting swine. Boom. A carriage crashes into another carriage at high speed right in front of me. Well, high speed for a fucking carriage. Samantha rolls out of it laughing hysterically. You'd hardly recognize him. He now wears an ill-fitting suit and has big, fake white teeth, and his burnt hair has managed to grow back in in patches. I'm surprised he didn't go with the karate gi, since I gave him a choice of either or. Here's what's been going on the last two years. Opium, son. The Great White Dick. Poppy Sinclair. The Witch's Orgy. The Man with the Twisted Limp. Oh, boogie. I have everyone smoking that shit. People became zombies killing each other in the streets. I was rich as fuck, so I didn't care. Was I still smoking it? You bet I was, because I can handle my shit like a grown man. Mayor Van Buren tried in vain to pass legislation to ban opium in the year before, but I smoked up all the senators before they went in to discuss it. <laughs> they never even made it back out of the chambers until the next day, and by then... They had totally forgotten about the whole thing. 
My product got so popular I ran out for a couple months. I had to take half my Chinaman back to my farm to grow more. My property now has opium fields as far as the eye can see, and my kids all have their own horses, riding around the fields with shotguns protecting my crops. Daniel, now 16, has grown into quite the man. It was his idea to make all the Chinamen strip buck naked before they harvest the opium every day so they won't steal any. They're only allowed to put their clothes back on at the end of their shift after they spread their butt cheeks and cough for him. That little fucker is ruthless and I love it. I pretty much let him just do whatever he wants because he's fucking awesome. Look, I know things aren't perfect in town right now. I'm not that delusional. People are getting sick of the Chinese and I get it. Now that some of them have money, they have more freedom, which is not necessarily a good thing. They suck at driving carriages. They laugh quietly to themselves in an annoying way for no reason. They're always solving math problems. I guess that's just like a hobby to them. Probably the most annoying thing, though, is that Sam won't stop taking pictures now. The other day, we were at a diner for breakfast, and he took a picture of his food. He actually ran across the street and grabbed that big-ass camera on the wooden tripod, pulled the curtain over himself, and took a picture of his fucking breakfast in the restaurant. Who does that shit? I can't say anything to him because he's still the only one who speaks Chinese and English, and I need a translator for everyone. Since he's had a little taste of power, he's also been dipping into the pale-faced lady trying to be like me. Obviously, he can't handle his shit the way I can, as evidenced by his latest carriage crash. Mayor Van Buren speedwalks across the street, his face red as hell. He points at Samantha and starts screaming. Uh, 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 God damn it, St. James, your Chinaman destroyed my carriage. Just be grateful you weren't in it. Let's just take a step back, hold hands, and thank our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I hold out my hand sarcastically for him to take. He slaps it away. Uh, 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 don't you give me your Jesus talk, you atheist. <laughs> Look, God is creating water right now. I point to Samantha, who is now pissing in the middle of the streets. This is the second carriage of mine he's destroyed in the last week. I won't put up with it anymore. You've turned this town into a bunch of goddamn junkies. As opposed to the respectful, incestuous rednecks you brought into this town? And for what? Petty revenge over my old man numbing out your mom? Get over it. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Fuck off, Mayor. Uh, 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 I'm going to get the sheriff this time. We need to have some laws. As soon as the words come out of his mouth, we see the sheriff walking down the road minding his own business when a tweaked-out Schlager brother foaming at the mouth runs out of my opium den holding a loaded peacemaker. He's talking nonsensically, but this time not in an endearing redneck way. The sheriff turns, but it's too late. BAM! The Schlager brother shoots him dead before turning the gun on himself, blowing his own brains out. I stand up and applaud as Mayor Van Buren looks on in shock. The fat Chinaman barrels out into the street again and grabs each of them one by one, throwing them over each shoulder. He laughs as he passes back by us. Ah, 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 ah. Hogs eat goo today, he says with a smile. I stop him and grab the sheriff's badge off his shirt and pin it to my suit. It looks nice on me, like it was meant to be. 
Mayor Van Buren shakes his head in disgust. You wanted law? You got law. I will protect and serve fine opium to the people. Uh, you listen here, St. James. I'm going to send a telegram for my father, the former president. He'll get the marshals out here. I stand up and quick draw my gun, pressing it in his face. You get that one-term slapdick father of yours down here, and all the fucking marshals you like. I own this fucking town now, and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. Isn't that right, Sam? Sam unleashes ten Chinese throwing stars into the wagon wheels of the mayor's busted-up carriage. The mayor looks at me befuddled. No, the other thing, Sam. Sam nods and pulls out a bottle of Goldschlager and smashes it against the side of the carriage. I then take a match, strike it off my sheriff's badge on my chest, and flick it on top of it. The entire carriage becomes engulfed in flames and immediately burns to the ground in a matter of seconds. Man, that was really fucking fast. I was not expecting that. That shit is strong, I note. You'll ruin a day that you ever mess with me. I point over to Sam and say, Just because he can't pronounce the word rule, there is no need to inflict your racist pronunciation on him. Uh, no, I said rule, which means to regret, forget it. Van Buren is so angry at this moment that he can't even speak. As he marches away, I walk over to his carriage to light a cigarette off a small remaining flame, and I wonder if I've taken it too far. Maybe I've pressed my luck a little. That thought quickly vanishes, and I remember looking down at my badge, thinking how cool it would be if someone blew me as the new sheriff. From behind, a man taps my shoulder. How cool would it be if someone blew you as the new sheriff? I was just... Thinking that? I know. I turn and see the gypsy woman standing behind me, dressed in the sheriff's clothes that he just died in moments ago. His fresh blood is still on the shirt. She has somehow shaved his mustache off and glued it to her face again. Pulling out her gun, she whispers, Come on, sheriff to sheriff. Let's screw. <laughs> Why that seems right, I will never know. I pull her inside St. James Place, and that's what we do. We screw hard in front of everyone. It creeps out a lot of people, and I lose a lot of customers and friends over it. That's what power does to you. It makes you think it's acceptable to fuck a woman dressed as a dude in front of other dudes. In reality, you need to keep that shit behind closed doors. Look, I really don't give a shit which way you swing. That's just a general rule of thumb in a whorehouse if there's any cosplay involved. This moment of carelessness is the beginning of the end for me. My rule, or rue, over the town has gotten too reckless. Things remain peaceful for a few days after I light the mayor's carriage on fire. <laughs> I'm an awesome sheriff and there's hardly any crime. Seriously. Everyone is so afraid of pissing me off because they don't want me to blacklist them from my opium den that there isn't one single crime committed. Also, I am so high most of the time that I'm not even sure what really constitutes a real crime. Until it happens to me. About a week passes and I'm sitting out in front of St. James Place reciting haiku and limericks, enjoying the fine smells of squirrel dye wafting through the streets, when suddenly... I hear collective screams from the townspeople. 
I stand up and see a man riding down Main Street toward me at breakneck speed with what appears to be a body dragging behind his horse. The man stops in front of me and flashes some sort of badge. It looks different from mine. Are you St. James Street, James? I am Sheriff Street, James, yes. Who the fuck are you? I'm Marshal Mathers of the 86th District of the United States. I served under President Van Buren. Just say you were a bottom. You don't have to say you served under him. He looks at me confused. This is a message from Mayor Van Buren. Your kid is dead. This is him. I look down at the body, but it's almost unrecognizable. At a closer glance, this could be anyone. It might not even be a human. That's how mangled it is at this point. I sit back down and continue my limericks aloud. There was an old man from Peru. Marshal Mathers becomes enraged. This is your son, man, that we killed! If that's really one of my sons, what's his name? Steve. Nope, I don't have a kid named Steve. Sorry, friends. He said you'd say that. So he told me to say Patrick. Upon hearing this, I look down closer at the body and that's when it sets in. It really is him. You motherfucker. I draw my gun and shoot him in the chest, knocking him off his horse. He hits the ground, groaning in pain, trying to reach for his gun, but he can't. I stand over him as his eyes widen and he says, You don't shoot the messenger. I just fucking did. I unload the rest of my pistol into him. Breathing heavily and unable to speak, he bleeds out, dying in front of me. Out of my peripheral vision, I see a man on a horse riding in at the same speed. I quick draw my other gun, but it's only Samantha. He looks completely distraught when he pulls up in front of me. As he gets closer, visible tears are streaming down his face. Sam, are you crying? What the fuck, bro? Sorry, boss. They dead. All of them are dead. Yeah, I know. Apparently Steve and Patrick are the same person. <laughs> no. They set a fire. Everyone from the farm is dead. My family and yours. Samantha wails, falling to his knees. Have you ever gotten so angry that you start uncontrollably shaking and piss your pants? Typically, it only happens to blind people when you fuck with their dogs. But it happens to me at this moment. I stand there, frozen, violently shaking internally. After a long, steady release of urine, I scream toward the heavens and I am finally able to concentrate. It's like I'm having an out-of-body experience, except this time, I am inside myself as I watch myself from the outside. Sorry? I think that is the exact definition of an out-of-body experience. Adrenaline kicks in and I pick up Sam by his belt loop, carrying him over to my steed. He's a fucking mess and I know he can't ride in his condition. I hold him tightly against my horse and ride us home. As we make our way through the forest, I can see fresh smoke billowing in the air from the grounds of my estate. 
Any doubts that Samantha is just really fucked up on opium and imagined both of our families burning in a fire are quickly erased. When we hit the edge of the tree line, my steed halts just in front of the slightly smoking grass where the fire is finally flamed out. As I survey the land, everything is gone. Everything. The opium fields, burned up. The rice paddies, newts. My wife's garden, gonzo. My stables, smoldering ashes. The house, black char. The entire property looks like the inside of a wood-burning stove. I hop down with Samantha to see if there's any survivors. My steed stays on the hill as we walk on foot through the charred ashes of the rice paddies. All that remain are burned, nude bodies serving as mere blackened grave sites amidst the landscape. Samantha walks over to their remains trying to identify his relatives. Dental records don't exist yet. Not that they would help the Chinese, obviously. Samantha hovers over a couple bodies and begins crying again. I can tell that he wants to be alone, so I leave him there to mourn and be with his people. Walking back toward the house on my own, I pass by the stable, which is completely burned to the ground as well. The only thing I can make out is a large, black figure that is clearly Daniel's horse, which can only mean one thing. Daniel was home and probably didn't make it out alive. God damn it. The house itself is almost entirely gone. A few smoldering boards from the foundation are all that is left. I can't even make out if there are any bodies in the remains because the house is so fucking massive. It has been reduced to a giant pile of used firewood and it's clear that everyone is dead. My entire family has now left this earth. Before getting emotional, I peer over my shoulder to see if Sam is looking in my direction. When I see him curled up in the fetal position, wailing in the distance, I know I'm safe. If you do one thing in this life, never let another man see you cry. Ever. Just to be cautious, I turn my head and let out one solemn tear. The only tear of sorrow I will shed in my entire life. That's right. Uno. One powerful motherfucking tear. In slow motion, that PMT rolls off my cheek, extinguishing a tiny remaining flame on one of the smoldering boards beneath my feet. Deep down, I needed that tear to escape so it wouldn't extinguish my fire within. Instead, I use that fire and turn it into white-hot fuck-all revenge. Seeing death this close really fucks people up on the inside. But not me. I know seeing some shit like this will harden me to anything I will ever see the rest of my life. This is the exact moment where I achieve old man strength within. My quiet inner rage is interrupted when I hear Samantha screaming for me. In the distance, I can see four U.S. Marshals riding up to my property on horseback. I calmly walk toward them, knowing they will have to dismount their horses at the exact same place we did once they reached the charred grounds. St. James Street, James! We have a warrant for your arrest! It's from the President! One of them says in a stern voice, 
For what, I ask, stone-faced? Tax evasion! You did not pay the duty tax on your opium! When the fuck did that become a law? 1840, sir! Is that so? Well, as you can see, I have no more opium. Therefore, there is nothing to tax. My fields mysteriously burned down. That's a shame. I hear that stuff is real flammable. Yeah, apparently people are too. We lost about 60 to 70 humans in the fire as well. I'm sorry to hear that. My condolences. Anyway, I got a telegram from Mayor Van Buren that says you've been running an opium den in town for the last two years, so you're going to need to pay up on that. The federal government will sort it out with you once we extradite you back to Washington. Sounds good. My condolences to you as well, by the way. For what? On your impending deaths. Full-on hysterical blindness has kicked in, and I become the ruthless motherfucker I was born to be. I quick-draw both pistols and blow all four marshals away. Standing over them, I calmly reload and fire two more rounds into each of them. Samantha stares at me as I walk over to my steed. Where are you going, boss? There's only one person in this town who has the capability to send a telegram, and I'm going to pay him a visit. I can't leave them like this. I have to bury the bodies. It's a Chinese tradition. Luckily, I believe in cremation, so I'm all set. I'll be back to get you in a couple hours. Comb through these fields and see if you can scare up a couple unburned poppies for one last opium sesh. I'm going to need it after what I'm about to do. He nods at me as I ride off. Straight to fucking Ron's house. That gimpy motherfucker is the only one with a printing press capable of sending that telegram. I can't believe that son of a bitch sold me out again. Even my steed senses my anger, and this time, there's no need to dig my heels in. He's already at top speed. As I near his house, I can see Ron watering his garden, enjoying his afternoon without a care in the world. That all changes the instant he hears my horse bearing down on him as we gallop closer. His eyes fill with panic and he throws down his water bucket, running into the house as fast as he can, locking the doors behind him. My steed doesn't even attempt to stop as we arrive at the house. Instead, he rides as close as he can to it and I jump off, crashing through the window, tackling Ron to the ground inside his living room. He screams like the scared woman he is as I rip the gun out of his holster and begin to beat him with it. Sheila comes running out from the bedroom. She's aged well, actually. To my surprise, she's also kind of dressed up, as if she was expecting me to come over. I put Ron's gun to his head and squeeze the trigger. Click. Nothing. I knew it still wasn't loaded, but I wanted Sheila to know that Ron has been running around town holding a gun with no bullets in it. At this point... I want to strip away any last bit of dignity and manhood that Ron is holding on to. I pick him up by his toupee, ripping it off his head. He screams as he flies backward into the kitchen. Looking down at the hairpiece, I can see yarn with chunks of his own skin still in it. He grabs his bleeding scalp. What the fuck? Did you sew this into your head, Ron? Yes, I wanted... To be like me, I know everyone does. 
Why did you send the fucking telegram, Ron? My entire family is dead. I draw both my guns. Not your entire family. An unfamiliar voice says behind me. I quickly turn around and see an eight-year-old boy who looks exactly like me standing by the stairs. Sheila smiles and puts her arm around him. I'm completely dumbfounded and at a loss for words at this moment. This is your son, St. James Street James Jr. I don't know what's more confusing, the fact that I have a son I've never met or the fact that you named him entirely after me and made Ron raise him. That's why I sent the telegram, St. James. Do you know how hard it is raising a son that looks exactly like the man your wife slept with? Shut the fuck up, Ron. It's not as hard as losing your entire family in a house fire, so don't even give me that bullshit. On the one hand, I really want to kill Ron. On the other, I'm not going to raise the goddamn kid, and it would be more painful if Ron has to do it the rest of his life. Having that constant reminder every single day will be mentally debilitating. But Ron still needs to pay for what he did. I take out a cigarette and hand it to the young me. Here, go take Ron's horse down by the river and have a smoke. Come back in a half hour. Okay, Dad. He says with a smile as he scampers outside. Did you hear that, Ron? He called me Dad. That's a feeling that you never deserve to have. Stand up and pull your pants down. He looks up at me, confused. What? Pull down your fucking pants, Ron! He puts up his hands, pleading with me to stop. St. James, please! I cock both my pistols and say, Do it now. Okay, okay! He says as he slowly pulls his pants down around his ankles. Underwear too, Ron. Oh no, please don't do this, please. I'm sure that's what my wife and kids said. Pull them down. Ron starts sobbing uncontrollably as he begins to tug on his underwear, pulling them down past his knees. I walk over to Sheila grab the back of her head and kiss her like she's the last woman on earth as Ron watches. Satisfied that I have delivered the most passionate kiss she will ever receive in her entire life, I turn and shoot Ron's dick clean off his body. It hits the floor with the sound of a wet pickle escaping a jar. His scream is delayed five seconds, obviously from the shock he's in. Once his brain registers what has just occurred, he falls to his knees in agonizing pain, screaming and holding his crotch. I put my gun back in my holster and walk toward the door, stopping in the door frame to turn back once more to Sheila. Use Ron as an example of who you shouldn't raise our son to be like Sheila. Sheila wipes away her tears and shakes her head. She says, I will. Where are you going? I don't know. Maybe to Europe to paint or write poetry for a few years. Really? No. I'm gonna kill every last motherfucker who did this to my family. Make a tourniquet and get the stepdad to a doctor. Oh, and Ron? You're not a starfish, so that thing isn't growing back. Know that this happened to you because of the decisions you made to be a bitch in this life. Night has fallen on the ride back over to my property. 
When I arrive, I can see Samantha down by the river lighting paper Chinese lanterns. One for every family member that he lost. One by one, he slowly releases them into the water, wistfully watching them float away. Tears roll down his face as he stands there motionless. I notice he has saved seven lanterns for me. Even though I'm not really into that shit, the jester is appreciated, so I join him and begin to light them anyway and release them downstream as well. Just as I'm about to light the last one, a foot suddenly stomps down on it, smashing it to pieces. No need to be lighting that last one. A gravelly voice says. I draw my guns up and look. It's Daniel. He's burned to shit, but he's still alive. This motherfucker will not die. I stand up and hug him as hard as I can, and he screams in pain. Dad, I'm covered in third-degree burns. Stop! Sorry, I just... It's amazing that you're still alive. You really won't die. It's truly remarkable. Fuck you, man. I need to go sit in the river for an hour. He takes off the remainder of his burnt clothes and heads out into the water. My heart is filled with joy and relief as I watch the smoke rising off of him as he wades out into the river. I remember staring at his innocent face, thinking to myself, Sweet Jesus, how are three men going to make it back into town on one horse? Would it be rude to ask Sam to walk? In the end, I decide it won't. It's only six miles, and it would probably give him time to think. <laughs>